Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm here with Levison Wood at the Hotel Panamera in uh, lovely Tulum, Mexico. What a place to be. It's not bad, hey? <laughs> so I actually found out about you, it must have been when I was here about a year ago, actually. Mm -hmm. Dear friend of mine, uh, fellow Brit, uh, actually was pointed out when you, I think he was when you had just launched or about to launch Art of Exploration, your most recent book. And I did a little deep dive and had seen you walk, you know, walk the Nile, walk the Himalayas. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, in this age of everything moving, you know, more quickly, more technologically, I've, you know, I've always had a bit of a, a romanticism for the sort of the age of exploration, if you will. And, uh, and you know, one of my, I don't know if you ever watched this film, Mountains on the Moon, but it of was course. one of, yeah, yeah, one of yeah, my yeah. favorite films. And so <laughs> when I saw the Nile, I was like, I got to talk to this guy. So anyway, it's an absolute pleasure to have you all. Likewise, thank you. It sounds like we got a lot in common. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you could um, start by giving a little bit of background. I know you, you, you're, you have a military background. Yeah. And... I'd love to hear kind of, at least in the States, uh, and I don't want to be, so my, my grandfather and my father both served, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times, at least in the States, I find people, especially because oftentimes service correlates with a sense of sort of patriotism, mm -hmm. and at least in previous generations, um, it often led to people sort of being more at home. Like once they got home, they were like, okay, now I'm, I'm so I'm so elated to be home. I'm sticking I'm around, yeah. planting the flag and building a home. You have taken what seems to me to be a, a, a somewhat different course. So what was, how did, um, how did your time, um, sort of your military experience inform or influence yeah. your decision to become sort of a man about the world? A man about the world. Well, you know what? I think it, even before I joined the military, um, travel was my first love. Yeah. Um, I, I was inspired from a very young age, a bit like yourself, reading the stories of, of the great age of exploration. Um, I grew up reading all about Lawrence of Arabia, Shackleton, and the polar explorers of the, um, of the early 20th century. And so that was my inspiration, you know, Livingston off in, in the middle of Africa. Um, and then I think my father was a teacher, so he really encouraged me to learn about history, and, and, and that really was my, my passion. Um, my grandfather, he served in the Second World War in the Far East, in, in Burma, so I grew up with his stories. Um, and he, grew, you know, he came from a very humble background, and, and so for him to go off to places like India and Japan, and uh, you know, he was passing on his um, astonishment with, with, the, with the big wide world. And so when I grew up, it was, it was always going to be something that I, I knew I had to do. As soon as I was old enough to leave home, I knew I wanted to travel. And, and that's what I did. I did what a lot of young people do these days and go away on a gap year traveling before university. Um, and that really cemented in my own mind a desire to really see as much of the world as possible. Um, so I, I studied history at university and, and uh, I specialized in the history of travel writing. So it kind of all neatly came together then um, and just did more and more adventurous journeys really. So b before I joined the army, I, um, I decided I was gonna hitchhike the length of the, the Silk Road. So I hitchhiked from where I studied in, in Nottingham in, in the middle of England, all the way to India um, and, and traveled through places like Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, uh, the, the North Caucasus. And this was in 2004 when things were pretty 
pretty spicy down yeah. there. <laughs> spicy is a good <laughs> word. Yeah. So, um, so even before I joined the military, you know, I, my mind was, you know, was really set on a on a life of travel. Um, and what that meant was, by the time I did join the the army in 2005, I went to the military academy at Sandhurst um, and ended up joining the the, the British Parachute Regiment. Um, it was strange because a lot of my soldiers were sort of either looking forward or concerned by the fact that we were going to serve in Afghanistan and, and I'd already spent you know a few months there traveling and, and actually meeting the locals so I, I, I went with a slightly different perspective on it. Mm. Um, the military I look back on very fondly I you know I had a great great time in, in many respects I made lots of very um, very good friends and I think for my job now it, it gave me a global network of people that I could call mm. upon to, to find out more about a particular region and do my job now and for the last sort of decade being a you know, professional explorer, traveler, whatever you want to call it, um, I think being able to call you know, people, whether that's my friends who've gone to work for the United Nations or NGOs or in the security world, all around the world has, has helped me enormously and I probably wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now were it not for that experience. Hmm. Yeah, that's, it's fascinating. So basically the network is actually one of the greatest Definitely. things you took away from that experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a ton of sense, actually. So if if you went from basically this, this hitchhiking experience through <laughs> Afghanistan to then a military deployment in Afghanistan, yeah. how did the juxtapositions, because I think that's, that's something fascinating to me, because I feel like oftentimes people come in and obviously they've, they've for better or worse, um, you know, enter within a particular worldview, mm -hmm. especially in a combat situation, uh, where you know there's a notion. There's a there's a book. I don't know if you've ever read it. Actually, it was by a U.S. Navy SEAL, but he he actually came from an experience which was quite fascinating of NGO background. Okay. Um, and he so he went from an NGO background to then doing SEAL training and then re-entering some of the places he had visited as yeah. a SEAL. And he just talked about his consciousness being oriented more from being one of service, yeah. it's kind of like a heart and a fist, to one of <laughs> actually seeing basically, like entering into a context where you're seeing everything as a potential threat. Yes. Now, this is a black and white dichotomy, and I'm sure it's more, way more nuanced, but how did having had a pre-existing experience mm. with the people, which oftentimes obviously gives you more of a hum, human perspective, Definitely, influence yeah. your perspective, and how, how did that sort of play out in your own, in your own mind? So, no, you're absolutely right, because when, when I'd hitchhiked through Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan as a, essentially a student backpacker, I was treated with nothing but kindness, respect, I was looked after, you know, I, I remember being in Afghanistan 2004, it was Ramadan, I was just taken to people's homes and, and looked after amazingly well, showing incredible hospitality. So I came away with this really positive viewpoint, so to then go and sort of be sent there in uniform and get shot at was, was a very different experience. Um, but I think the positivity stayed with me actually because I wasn't, I don't think I was too indoctrinated by that military um, way of thinking which you know does tend to um, necessarily force you to see everything you know through that lens of, of danger and, and um, uh, and actually, I think that's for me at least was a positive thing because when I left, I wasn't too jaded by the world. I was, um, I was still positive, and I wanted to reconnect with that, with that sort of spirit of um, positivity. And uh, and that's kind of what I've been doing since leaving the military is trying to really show people what places that tend to have a bad reputation are really like, rather mm -hmm. than what we see on the on the news day in, day out, particularly in the Middle East or, or Central Asia, uh, where it's inevitably war, terrorism, destruction. And um, and so that my focus really since then has been um, 
trying to sort of break some of those stereotypes and, and, and show, showcase to people the more positive side. Yeah, I think it's beautifully said. And I feel like so essential because we've gotten s such a limited bandwidth, mm. I think, of exposure to that culture. Uh, and one of the fascinating things that, I, that I've loved in my own experience of traveling through sort of the Middle East was that incredible notion of hospitality. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know if I've ever had an experience of hospitality quite like yeah. I experienced there. And so it's such a, a dichotomy to see all these images of war and obviously then have such a heart open. Mm. And, and interestingly enough, you know, just to sort of keep it in that military tone, um, and I, I'm, not, you, I'm sure you know the story of this, this sort of the 12 seals that went down and yeah, then yeah. one being taken in by a village and the village actually defend, even though they weren't particularly loyal yeah. to the U.S., but defending that as because he was a, a guest in their yeah. home against the Taliban to their own, you know, potential, you know, mortal risk. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that level of hospitality is so profound and yet I don't we, we so rarely get these we, kinds of stories. we rarely see see or hear about this and and that what you're talking about there you know the, is is you find it all across the region you know the, the, the Pashtun Wali is what they call it in southern Afghanistan it's this code that you must look after a stranger even if, even if he's your enemy if he comes to you asking for help you you are duty-bound to look after them and and um, and it's it's amazing to sort of be on the receiving end of that and, yeah. I, and I feel very lucky to, to have seen it with my own eyes um, I ended up staying with Mujahideen fighters opium smugglers and all all the sort of bad guys that we hear about and, and actually of course on a one-to-one -one, one level everyone was perfectly friendly and, and very nice yeah. what were some of the greater do you have any great stories actually I guess from I mean I'm sure you have <laughs> epic stories across the whole but like I mean when you mentioned sort of opium smugglers and all and Mujahideen like what would be something that, that you know maybe you can share an anecdote or, or some insight that you garnered from that experience or maybe a, a story <laughs> i would love to, I, i'm Gosh. fascinated by yeah it. so many i mean like particularly in um in afghanistan i look back to that first trip you know my, my i think my mum and dad thought i was on holiday in greece at the time i didn't tell them <laughs> i was hitchhiking across afghanistan um but i remember i i, I sort of left herat i crossed over from iran and at this stage I should add here that I had literally no money, right? So I'd, I'd left um, university. I had, I think I had 500 pounds. So what's that? $750 in my bank account. And my intention was to just see how far I could get with that. Yeah. With India in mind. And I got to Iran with a traveler's check. Remember those? Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> Back in the day. Totally. And it was like a $100 travel. That was my final one. But you get to Iran and then realize they don't, there's no cash machines for, uh, for, for any foreign uh, cards and you can't cash dollars travelers checks in Iran because they it's all it was all you know sanctioned in those days yeah. so I entered Iran with no money so I had to I was just living on handouts and like literally hitchhiking being taken in by families and I was getting more and more terrified because the further east I got I was getting to the Afghanistan border and I knew I <laughs> with no money and that was a pretty terrifying prospect so but I thought I'm just gonna try and blend in so I managed to sort of um, get given some like secondhand Pashtun clothes so I, I blended I got a pretty good beard by then as well um, and and so there I was hitchhiking through the mountains I got picked up in this um, by this uh, by this you know those trucks that you get like supposed to be for eight people but they cram in 16 people and all their pets off we went over the mountains and just as we we're going over the mountains the brakes failed and we we're flying down this cliff and the driver to his credit didn't jump out of the car everyone else was trying to jump out of the windows I was stuck right at the back because I had the worst seat and uh, anyway the bus just as it was going around the corner it was going to go off the edge of a cliff somehow smashed into a lorry which stopped the, the you know the, the truck going off the cliff um, 
sadly the driver was completely crushed poor guy um and he was taken away to a hospital um, we all survived but like the the truck driver who'd essentially saved our lives by being parked on the edge of the cliff was like okay I'll, I'll look after you so he then drove us to the next village put on a great feast and it was this most surreal experience because he said oh we need to watch some tv to to cheer you up and the only VHS um, they had was Rambo 3 you know the one in Afghanistan <laughs> and all of these guys who were all former Mujahideen fighters themselves were cheering on as Rambo was fighting the Soviets no and I was sat there having literally just my, you know almost lost my life in a car accident surrounded by Mujahideen fighters watching Rambo in the middle of Afghanistan and I'll never forget that. It was just the most bizarre experience. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, but somehow managed to make it all the way through and with, with zero money. Wow. <laughs> so literally with $750, you yeah. went from London all the way to basically Goa. Yeah, to yeah, Goa, India. India. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. All off the grace, well, I mean, a couple of dollars in the grace of being. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so this is this is incredible. So, okay, formative experience. Mm. I had a, um, a somewhat analogous experience where I actually lived, I didn't share this with you earlier, but I wound up living in Sri Lanka for, for two years. Amazing. So I, it was, I mean, it, it totally changed my wife. She yeah. wound up getting invited to study with a traditional healer uh -huh. in a culture where there was no word for privacy and there's no word for mm. possession. Yeah. So when one person fell out, it was a particular form of Ayurvedic, uh, the Ayurvedic basically lineage medicine, but, mm -hmm. but the occult practices. So if one person fell out of balance, it was the role of the entire community yeah. to bring them back because they were seen as inseparable. So they would create these elaborate palm fraud structures, yeah. making offerings to the deities, the pre-Buddhistic deities, and put this person right in the middle. And from sunset to sunrise, they would literally recre ritually recreate their shared cosmological worldview. Wow. All with the intention of that person feeling seen and loved enough to come back into balance. Yeah. Uh, and it was such a formative experience for me, myself, I was, I was 19 years old, that it, that it radically changed the sort of the direction of, course, of my yeah, life, yeah. you know, because you, you, you grew up with a certain individual centered worldview. And then I was like, OK, this is this is a totally different perspective from there. It sounds like, you know, I mean, there's, there's obviously a multitude of adventures you've mm -hmm. gone on. How many books are you on now? Uh, I've written 10. I've got another two going out next year, hopefully. So, oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> so I'm tomorrow. Uh, my agent is, at, and, and I'm slightly embarrassed to admit, especially with someone as prolific as yourself, but it's taken me two and a half years to write. I've written 500 pages, uh -huh. distilled it down to 80 per pages, okay. 80 pages proposal, um, which I'm finally happy with. Amazing. But um, I'd, be, I'd love to hear sort of, as as someone who is is holding the tradition of of travel writing, mm -hmm. I think in, in in such a high way, and and continues to utilize it to, to to fuel, I think a lifestyle that many people would yearn for. Uh, I think especially in this day and age, and and, and particularly in this moment, um, what have been some like what have been some of the ways in which, um, you know, if you will. The, the writing experiences yeah. inform the way that you go about traveling. Because sure. at least from a, an observer's point of view, I love that you're taking sort of my projection, the slow road. Like you're walking, you know, you walk the Nile. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you're, you walk in the Himalayas. And writing also, from my experience, I've had a long walk just to even get through the proposal. <laughs> like it's been, it's been the, in, the, in the age of Twitter, you yeah. know, to sort of bring it a little bit back, 
you know, what I loved about rituals and rituals in Sri Lanka was yeah. it was a different notion of time. Yes. Time was reified anew in a, in a way that was aligned to the stars. Yeah. And we've become so aligned to tweets and, 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 and you know, so, so fast moving yeah. and so away from the circadian rhythm that, you know, and, and perhaps I'm romanticizing, it's someone who I think spends their time writing books and walking on long expeditions is staying with the with the let's call it a more traditional notion of time, mm. at least in my own view. Um, but I'd love to hear how writing plays into yeah, your, yeah, the yeah. way that you perceive travel. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, the skating rhythm of just being on this journey and really reconnecting with what human beings are all about is is what has been the perhaps inadvertent um, effect of, of of what I've been doing. I don't think I necessarily set out to go on really long walks. I think that was perhaps a, a sort of legacy of my, some of my military experiences was some of the best journeys that I'd done hadn't been anything that was too contrived or, um, or sort of uh, overly thought through. It was just a, an A to B journey on foot. And that's, that's part of the sort of the warrior's code in the military. And that's something that I wanted to take with me when I, when I left the military was I started, I was, I was a guide, I was an expedition guide leading walking journeys um, in essentially post-conflict zones, you know, I was, we did trekking in Afghanistan, um, you know, hiking over the, the mountains in, in, in Iraq and Iran and, and taking people to places um, that were off limits. Mm. Um, so the, the, the idea of, of doing a really long walking journey along the Nile came because I wanted to write a book, you know, I, was, I wanted to sort of hopefully contribute to some of the, the legacy of, of the explorers of yesterday that we, that we, that we talked about. And, um, and I knew that to do that, I, I had to do a journey that was worth writing about. Mm. And um, the Nile had always fascinated me since I was a kid. Like I said, I read all about, you know, Richard Burton was my, my favorite of, of all the Victorian explorers, but people like Samuel Baker and, um, and Livingston and, um, you know all the other th those very hairy mustachioed men from from uh, <laughs> from, the, from the 19th century um, but that river in particular it you know it has always been the, the lifeblood of Africa um, and, I, and I sort of did a bit of research as anyone walked it and I was quite surprised when I figured that because of the various wars and conflicts and border closures that had, you know essentially been in place until um, the middle of the 20th century um, nobody had done it. And, uh, you know, when you ask why isn't a local done it, it's like, well, why would they, frankly? So I thought, well, here's a challenge that I'd like to do. I'd like to do it on foot to really, um, you know, I, was, I had no interest in necessarily breaking records or anything like that. It was really about, like you said, connecting with the most authentic human experience, which is what, you know, the cavemen did, which was go, on a, go off on a really long walk and, um, and see what that feels like and see if it's possible. Um, and in doing so, document a moment in time. Because, you know, if you were to do that journey now or somebody did that 100 years ago, very different experiences. But I think the process of putting one foot in front of the other, there's something very authentic about that. And I think that is something that hopefully, you know, the, the audience, the reader can, can connect with because um, you know, most people can walk and most people do walk on a, if not a daily basis, at least a little bit. Um, and there's something accessible about that and people can relate to it and say, well, maybe I could do that one day. And so that's what I tried to write about is that, that universal experience. Um, and the stories that fall out of it, the adventures are all really, um, less 
consequential than the process of, of connecting with with yourself essentially on that journey and, um, and and for me that was the start of many long walks um, you know that was it, it blows my mind now that was that was eight years ago um, and every year since then I've tried to do you know a big a big journey on foot since then um, so it's I, I found it really um, has been helpful useful for me to, to just do something that I believe in and uh, and share that with others. It's been a real privilege. I like that. I like what you said about accessibility because I feel like mm-hmm. I resonate with that. Anyone can walk. Yeah. You know, and and I think something as you were that was evoked as you were as you were sharing was this notion actually, as well of uh, as I was thinking about Sri Lanka and then thinking, listening to you talk about you know now this is almost like a right of my own words, but write mm. a passage that you're taking year in, year out um, to, to find a place to take a long walk. Mm. And I thought about the walkabout in the Aboriginal tradition. Yep. And I was very, very honored and lucky to, to actually be invited on men's business by an Aboriginal elder. And I thought about that, you know, when it, he took me out, you know, I mean, it was wild. You know, he's, basically it was the namesake, Uluru, right? Mm-hmm. Uluru being the most sacred mm-hmm. place uh, for the Aboriginals. And he's like, tomorrow we're taking you on men's business. And I was like, I had no idea what this meant. You know, but I was like, all right. Pull up, it pulls up, dusty, you know, red, we're in milk, red sand everywhere. Mm-hmm. Get in the back, there's a there's a barrel of a, of a gun, not even a full gun, but just the barrel <laughs> and a trigger. <laughs> Two kangaroo tails. And I was like, all right, I have no idea what men's business is, but uh, this Here is definitely go. gonna be an adventure. So I get in the back. <laughs> And the, the only way I knew we were on it, we were really up for it was we started barreling, must have been going 70 or 80 kilometers an hour. It said Aboriginal only, land. We're cruising on a red dirt track, and the guy stops abruptly, you know, huge red cloud of, of, of sand. And he, and he pulls me out of the car, and he, and he picks up, you know, we're talking a total red, red sand bush landscape, right? Like, just like dusty weeds. And he saw, you know, you probably know these these thorny devils, right? Mm-hmm. These little toads. Super cool. Like, they look like little mini aliens, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, like, I could barely see it, like, with it pointed out right in front of me. And this yeah. guy somehow saw it at 80K, you know, like, <laughs> Amazing. Just, like, shooting down a track. And when he shared stories that night by the campfire, it was my first experience of, of someone not recounting something that happened, mm-hmm. but at least in the way that I experienced it, speaking something into reality. Like, right. speaking something into yeah, existence. Yeah, yeah. And the way that he shared story and this idea of a walkabout and then this, which I wouldn't be able to do, obviously I don't have that knowledge, but the fact that they could walk, go out walking mm-hmm. for up to a year's time with nothing on them, yeah. right, in the middle of a harsh desert, shows that I think also the attunement that can come from 100%. the walkabout yeah. process. Um, what, how, do you, how do you find it, you sort of attune differently when you're in the midst of your walk? I think a good example is from my, my last sort of big walk, which was um, I walked across Botswana um, and wrote a book about that called The Last Giants. Um, and it really was to follow the, um, the, the biggest of all uh, the elephant migrations in Africa from the Makadikadi Pans to the Okavango Delta. Um, there's 120,000 elephants that, that make this migration the country and I wanted to, to learn more about elephants from my, my own perspective and also to see uh, all about how humans and wildlife interact you know particularly now where there's there's huge pressures on resources in Africa and water more and more roads and infrastructure is being built which uh, crisscrosses and, and ultimately destroys these ancestral trails 
um, and I wanted to see what could be done perhaps to to protect elephants but also you know not alienate the, the communities that, that live there and um, traveling on foot I, I knew I needed a good guide and, and I, wherever I go I always try and find a local guide who knows a bit about the landscape can get me out of trouble whenever, whenever I need it um, and obviously can speak the language and I found this guy called Kane Kane Motswana from Botswana hmm. and he was a, a San a bushman and um, he was incredible you know he turned up in his full traditional costume which you know is sort of deer skins and um, his spear and uh, you know his crocodile teeth necklace I mean, he really looked the part and uh, we got some photos he's right can I get this stuff off now and put his normal clothes on <laughs> he was great but um, he really I mean he grew up um, we we're about the same age you know he grew up in the in the 80s and he said oh um, when I was a kid you know and, and I was a baby on my mother's back if my mother wanted meat she would call out to the to the lions and ask them for some meat I was like okay what what does this mean she's like, oh maybe I'll show you show you one day so we set off on this walk and Connie could replicate the noise of any animal in Africa whether it was a bird or a deer or a lion or whatever and he could make perfect which is amazing in, in into itself but to have a purpose to do this so if he wanted to see lions he would make the noise of a distressed deer and the lions would come and he did this and he made this noise and, and a pack uh, a pride of sort of seven or eight lions just turned up out of nowhere what? and i was like wow and he said okay well if we see a kill i'll show you what i mean and so another few days passed and we 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 saw this poor buffalo who broke his leg um and he called the lions the lions came and killed this buffalo and uh four male lions um and he said okay we're going to go up to them now you, you you ready to see this i said okay this is terrifying so we we sort of stalked up to the kill and we were no more than 10 feet away at this stage and we'd gone uh sort of upwind or downwind whichever so that they couldn't sniff us and then he said right i'm going to speak to the lions now he said just stay there i said okay i'm not going anywhere um he said whatever you do do not run and he just stood up and the lions stood up and they were face to face and I've got the most amazing photograph from our camera crew which was you know 200 yards away because they were not getting any closer on a long lens of Connie just stood up and a lion right there and um, he sort of did this prayer every morning he made a prayer to his ancestors to protect us from wildlife and he looked at this lion said a prayer and do you know what the lion did it grunted and then just backed off along with all the other lions they went and sat under the shade of a tree you know 40 feet away and we went right up to this dead buffalo and Connie got his knife out and said, right, we can have some meat now. I was mind blown. No we filmed way. the whole thing. It's all on camera. It's on TV. It's on Discovery Channel. You can see it. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> it was mind blowing. And that sense of like, I'd never, I'd never, I mean, I, you know, of all the places I've been, I've always tried to become attuned to the landscape, but that was probably the most mind blowing of all. But wherever you go, I think there's experiences like that to be had. If you just sort of look for them and try and be in the moment and be with people who are conscious about the environment then you you can find those amazing experiences yeah, all can. over the world you can <laughs> share a little bit for those listening because mm. i know you just you, you most recently talked about this notion of the art of exploration and for those who are i mean i, I you know i always think about sort of timeliness and without going into the politics of the pandemic just to say yeah. i think one of the interesting things is 
what we have been shown is that one person's breath on one side of the world can impact literally the lives of every single other person. And so therefore, I think the fallacy of individuality is, is sort of revealed. But also secondarily, I think a lot of people, including myself, obviously, you know, where you've been in quarantine or in sort of forced isolation, which is which is also, by the way, our greatest sort of corporal punishment, right, is, is solitary <laughs> confinement, is, is we recognize both, I think, the, the value of community, but also... But also, I think people yearning for this, yeah. this notion of exploration, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and yearning for the opportunity to get back out into the world. Mm. Um, as someone who spends their life um, as, an, as, as a modern day explorer, what are some of the tenets that, that you share in terms of uh, sort of the mindsets mm-hmm. or, or even practical, uh, practical tips and, uh, and yeah, tools yeah. That, you, that you share around how one can approach their next exploration? So for me, writing this book was, was really my lockdown project. You know, I was stuck in London, all my trips have been cancelled, and I thought, okay, what better way to, uh, for my own benefit really, to sort of look back and, and really appreciate the journeys that I've been fortunate enough to go on, but, but share some of the, the most valuable lessons with, with other people. So I kind of distilled all of my journeys, not just the sort of ones I'd written books about previously, um, and the ones that I'd made for TV, but also some of my early backpacking journeys, you know, like, like when I was in Iraq and Afghanistan and, uh, and also some of my journeys when I was in the military as well and, and figure out what were the guiding principles that, that I took away. And, um, and that's, that, you know, it's everything from the importance of curiosity in the first place, which sounds like a given, but it's not just about, you know, being curious about okay, and let's go over there for the sake of it. It's like really delving into your own um, mindset. What drives you as an individual? What drives us as communities? And, and tapping into those guidelines and, and really following them to their conclusions. And, and how you then use that to dictate where you go, who you go with. Surrounding yourself but with, a good, um, with a good crew, a good teammate. Like what, um, what defines a successful team? Um, I talk about the art of leadership and, and what's, what it means to be a leader both on and off the battlefield, but also as part of a, you know, as part of a team when you're off exploring. You know, and I work with teams if we're on a scientific journey to go and um, document a certain place or if we're making a TV show, whatever it might be, there's still that element of teamwork. You've got to, you know, you've got to practice what you preach. And a lot of that is simply leading by example, living, um, living by those values and standards that you set yourself and profess to live by you have to actually actually you know be that person uh, day in day out it's about integrity um there's a thread of courage and i don't mean that in, in any way to say oh look how brave i am by climbing mountains it's really the courage of integrity it's by sticking to those principles and um and not waving um so it's it's for me it's been a, a real act of self-scrutiny in many ways mm. and, and pulling myself apart and actually what do I stand for what are the what are my morals what is where does my moral compass point and, and and what what are the things that I would like to be you know hopefully remembered but you know for and by um so that's what for me the art of exploration has been about it's been about um it's not to tell people how to live their own lives or how to necessarily go on a journey it's it's really some of the principles that I've learned not just from my own journeys but people that I've met and so you know I was fortunate enough to interview the Dalai Lama and ask him about what has driven him and, and how he's kept his community intact 
um, some other explorers from not just from history but modern day explorers. I don't you might have heard of Nims Perja, who's the guy, you know, yeah. 14 Peaks. I mean, um, fascinating I, Netflix film if you haven't seen it. Yeah, it's incredible, absolutely amazing. I, I mean, I, I met him through through the military, he, he left, um, and I was actually uh, fortunate to go and join him before he summited uh, Annapurna, his first peak. I flew to base camp to, to send him off on his merry way, and, and so. You know, I, I asked him what drove him, and so I, I try. I've tried to distill all of these people. You know, really inspirational people. Um, get the lessons that they've learned and put them all in one place. So it's it's been a really fun exercise, um, but really hard work as well to try and just. <laughs> it's what what do you exclude? What do you put in? Because yeah. there's so much. But to try and really keep it concise, that was the hard bit. What were some of the greatest insights you garnered in that process? Like, how did you mm. determine? I, and I'm curious both from, and for those listening, by the way, I mean, he just literally, I mean, I think the, the man who had previously summoned the, like the it was six like, years it took, yeah, yeah, it took, year, it might have even more. It yeah. Took, and he did it in unprecedented Six time. months. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And, and did it with it entirely with the team of uh, Nepalese, uh, yeah. which was, I think, also a, a, a testament to, to the, the, I think, Historical oversights, yeah, shall we say, yeah. of the way that those, these explorers are often overlooked, and, mm. and he he broke a paradigm, and not just broke it; I mean, he shattered it. Yeah. Um, but as you as you look at these different sort of explorers, and I would say, you know, uh, Dalai Lama is also mm. in my mind uh, a profound explorer, yeah, and absolutely. also to stay, I was I was actually honored to host him for his 80th birthday. Wow! Okay. And it was incredible. Um, but just also just noticing the way that he moved through space, yes. you know, it was yeah. like literally he stopped at this tree. Uh, I don't share this very often, but it, it was one of the things I noticed the most, right? It was actually less the words and more the way of being, but just stopping to appreciate literally a, uh, a leaf of a palm tree. Like he, he sat with it for a moment. And then the way that he acknowledged everyone he, uh, that mm -hmm. he uh, that came across his path with like a lighthearted, humorous openness. Yes. You know, it was like... <laughs> I was like, wow, like just like like that that level of like uh, just appreciation, just appreciation, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and jokingness. Desmond Tutu, you yeah. know, I like the you know the, this that level of I think uh, of of childlike wonder. Completely, That's, I feel like that was his, my experience of of meeting him as well. Was he just had that his whole audience in tears of laughter exactly. he's just cracking jokes the exactly. whole time it's amazing um, but yeah you're right I think that sense of appreciation of being in the moment gratitude is at the heart of his very essence and I think that's what he professes it's compassion it's um, it's the rumor I mean it goes with all of Buddhist uh, you know philosophy is is that uh, removal of attachment to any negativity and, and just really seeing yourself from that another perspective and seeing things for what they are mm -hmm. and, and taking the ego out of it and I think that's that really is at the essence of, of the art of exploration is is being humble enough to just try and see things for what they are and not put yourself at, at the center of it all is, is and that's really the, the biggest learning I think anyone can hopefully achieve really <laughs> I mean I think well said and it, it evokes for me actually right we were talking we were talking about that it evoked for me actually Siddhartha you know and, mm. and actually thinking about talking about Buddhism but like you know thinking about this this prince who had you know who was you know in the gilded home mm -hmm. of the royal palace and then forsook it all and like left everything behind talk about an you know an exploration, that's an exploration right? like right that's, there, that's yeah. the spirit and right and that led obviously to uh, 
to the the path which which ultimately became sort of an enlightened path mm -hmm. but but I, I that notion of of surrendering and letting go that's one of the things i've been as i reflected we're recording this now um just after the new year uh, in 2022 and i just did a temescal uh for those listening and that don't know a a, a, a native traditional sweat sweat lodge ceremony here and yeah. uh, i found i actually have connection to a beautiful temescalero if you if you're i'd love to yeah i did one for, i did one for my birthday about five years ago here actually yeah, yeah it's br brutal but <laughs> it was, this one this one was hot and i mean like I've done it. I've done. I've done a few. Yeah. This one was. <laughs> it was strong, yeah. you know, but so um, so powerful, and and w one of those things that that you have to confront with is that mm. notion of letting go. Totally. Yeah. But but also, and I think the Temescal was one of the. I did this kind of, without getting uh, you know out there. This Temescal was a very my view sort of masculine kind of warrior ethos like you had to really confront the heat to the point where you're you know you don't you don't know if you can do it like people are literally asking to leave yeah and you're like no i'm gonna stick it through um but then the 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 grace that comes after valiant yeah. effort yeah. right after the after actually confronting those those no, i think that i think that's again that's really a at the heart of any journey of you know and, and any exploration is that overcoming a challenge and yeah. i think that whether it's temescal or whether you do sananga or cambo or any of these amazing plant medicines that you you have to go through the, the tough bit to really gain the the benefits and um and that's been part of my journey for the last few years and it's been remarkable and it's opened my my mind so much to you know what there is left to explore because on the face of it, it's ah what's what is there to explore but it turns out <laughs> there's, there's so many universes out there isn't there and that's the beauty i think is both the internal and the external journey is equally important yeah, and the two are totally yeah. commensurate as you think about the journeys ahead um and i don't know how much time you spend planning or dreaming about the, the journeys ahead um are there places i'm sure there are many but are is there an inner or outer exploration that is calling to you deeply? <laughs> so many. I mean, all, all my trips got cancelled the last 18 months, <laughs> so I've got a backlog right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as I was, I was saying to you earlier, like I was supposed to go in off on a, on a journey to India right now, but it's, you know, COVID sort of put paid to that. But I've just been faced with uh, a gap now of a few months. So, But I found that really exciting. It's, yeah. it's been a very long time since I've uh, had the opportunity to just freestyle it and just you know and I guess going back to a bit of a cliche but going back to my roots of being a bit a bit of a wandering backpacker I'm really excited to be able to go and turn left or right or straight at the middle I don't know and, and so that's where I am right now I mean I've, I've still got some big expeditions that obviously require some planning that I would love to do um, I've not spent a great deal of time in in South America actually so I'd love to do a, a big journey um, throughout all of South America um, Papua New Guinea's high on the list. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's lots of places. You know, lots and lots and lots of places that I would love to go and do. But I'm, the, the more, you know, particularly, you know, I'm very fortunate to have this platform of not just writing but TV. And I think it's a case of not just going to places necessarily for the sake of it. It's finding a cause that I feel passionate about and and using these journeys as, as a way of, um, you know bringing attention to a particular cause, whether that's conservation or habitat loss or the destruction of the Amazon, whatever it might be, um, and hopefully doing something useful with it. Mm. So that's one I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what really is, is my next um, project that I want to work on. That's know? beautiful. 
Yeah, um, I, I haven't shared this with you, but my background is actually starting a philanthropic music festival, Amazing. which is all about trying to bring attention to various causes, principally around yeah. um, the issues affect, affecting the extreme poor. Conservation, obviously, mm -hmm. as you know, I mean, yep. you just did a massive trek with with uh, with elephants. You had mentioned um, through Botswana, and obviously, economics have a huge role to play cool, in sure. terms of how people live live with the land and, and animals, etc. Um, but South America, to sort of bring it to, is is where I intend to head next, and I feel like. Um, calls me so deeply. I feel yeah. like one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. Have you been to Patagonia yet? No. Uh, yes, but very briefly. I made. I was on the Corcovado National Park in Chile. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But I, it, I was there for a, a week. That was it. I need to go back and okay. see more I've of got, it. Yeah. I've got one of the best <laughs> spots I've ever been to in my life okay. that I was, I share with, I'll share with you. But uh, without, I won't go into the, uh, the full story, but I wound up um, in Torres del Paine and I love horses mm -hmm. uh, for a variety of reasons, but I wound up getting to ride with two gauchos to release 50 horses to pasture wow. in uh, basically in the high Andes. And they left me with the horses uh, at sunset and I kind of got down and it was just kind of quiet. And it was, and I'm sure you've given all the walks you've been on, all the places you've been, you've experienced this, but it was so rare for me having grown up in a city to experience total silence, yeah. like the absence of any sound yeah, yeah, yeah wow and to have the sunset over the andes and be surrounded by 50 horses with not a person for miles <laughs> it was like one of the that's most really special <laughs> it was yeah, one of the most beautiful experiences of my life so uh yeah if i i would love to get some recommendations from you but uh i would definitely love to reciprocate um i also wanted to just t tap on one thing you just mentioned there which where you said this notion of having obviously you've got this you know these incredible tv shows books but as you said, like, you know, right now you were supposed, you're meant to be filming a TV show in <laughs> India, but instead of being like remiss about what didn't happen, what I love, because we were talking about this off camera and I just want to acknowledge you for it. And I feel like it's one of the things for those listening that's, that is, I think the greatest, uh, one of the greatest aspects I think of, of, of exploration in life is that notion of being willing to pivot, right? And and, 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 and like you said, and actually go left, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like you could be in the woes, and many people I think get caught in the woes of like, oh, I'm supposed to be here now, yeah. and get stuck in a in, in that mental rut, right? Yeah. As opposed to what you're, what you're embracing, like we're in Mexico and you're like, yeah, no, I'm stoked. <laughs> I'm gonna go, I don't even know where I'm gonna go tomorrow. You know, like I, you know, and like that idea, I actually write about in my book about this, it's called basically turning left, which yeah. is, a, which is, you know, you go to, like I would go to Yosemite and everyone's in the valley and it's blocked and it's like, oh yeah, but actually if you go to Tuolumne Meadows, just to the left, there's sure. no one there. You yeah, know, or you yeah, go to yeah. Zion and you're in the Narrows, oh actually there's two other, there's no one there. Yeah. And it's like sometimes when it doesn't work out or when it's too crowded, that notion of just like going to the I've left, I think totally, so I found that, I mean, it's, it's taken a, a long time to get used to accepting that but i think when you do it makes life a hell of a lot easier it does doesn't it because yeah like you know every cloud does have a silver lining no matter and i i've really taught myself to to hone in on whatever tiny glimmer of positivity there is even in the worst disaster i mean like in every like i was the last time i was actually here was in um was in august i think it was and um a hurricane came through uh it tore the place up the hotel got smashed up um, and I, if that wasn't bad enough the next day just as the the, the sort of the, the people were coming in to clean it uh, somebody came and stole my laptop all, all my stuff my camera everything it was just like oh my god this is this is 
disastrous but you know it's like you could look at that as a total disaster but actually the fact that i was then liberated from my laptop meant that i suddenly had a load of free time and, and i ended up doing loads of cool stuff as a result you know it's just like you just got to focus on the positives and and every time that something dreadful has happened there's in every single time whether it's splitting up with a girlfriend whether it's having your stuff stolen whether it's you know total disaster there is always something that will come good and you've got to trust the process you've got to trust the universe that something will be delivered that will be even better than what you had before and if you can do that then you can keep a smile on your face through anything yeah man well said well where can people find you i mean i know obviously you've got the television shows you've got the books where's the best place for people that want to connect to find uh, uh yeah probably just on like instagram yeah levison.wood or i'm on twitter or my website levisonwood.com um all my books are on there and my photography and everything else so yeah i've been watching your leica shots around the world <laughs> i was like uh, man i i uh i just i i really resonate with the way that you're kind of bringing this in my view this sort of ancient art or beautiful art of exploration and still holding it in in a good spirit and in a good way as you travel the world today oh, thank so you. i really uh i acknowledge you for for putting that out in the world with you know with your television work with your books um but also yeah just it's it's a pleasure to meet you man. no i really appreciate the opportunity to to chat and here we are yeah man. amazing place thank to, you so much michael to be continued my friend <laughs> cheers Let's catch up in south america let's do it i'm in <laughs> awesome uh yeah we're